morning. Uh, a few people happy to be here this morning. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> My name is Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor. Um, and like Rich said, we get to continue in, the, in our series on the book of Joshua. And we're going to continue into a pretty familiar story. Um, but what I hope that we can rally around is just this idea that we can trust God because he is faithful. Um, I, I was reminded this week, because I was always pulling into my garage of a time that my father-in-law went with me to pick up dinner. And I drove, and so we backed out of the driveway. And then we went and picked up dinner and um, got the probably pizza, put the pizza in the car. We're driving back, and he was telling me a story. And he was in the middle of the story when I was pulling up to um, my house. And I have a pretty steep driveway, and so... While I was going, I hit the garage door opener, and the garage door started going up. And because it's steep, I like to just continue my momentum and really time it so that I don't have to slow down on the steep driveway, but I can just go in as the garage door is still going up. But what I noticed was as I opened the garage door, uh, my father-in-law just sort of stopped telling his story as I was going up the driveway. And I pulled into the driveway, and I sat there. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, pretty confident that door was going to go up, weren't you? And the message that I received was pretty loud and clear. He was like, that was too close for my comfort. Don't do that again with me in the car. I don't want to hit a garage door. Got it. Okay. But I have faith. I have this unbelievable faith that the garage door will go up. And I realized that because on this particular day this past week, I was really close to the garage door. But I made it. It was great because it goes up at the same pace every time, and I got pretty good timing, and it's a competitive game I play. And I'm sure that because I've told this, this, this you know, service and last service that on the news this coming week, it's going to be local pastor runs into his garage door <laughs> inexplicably. But I believe that that door will go up, and I will be able to do what I do. It's a game that I play. It makes every day a l- little bit more sunny, you know? And so... <laughs> But I believe that that will go up. And we all put our faith in things every day that are not at all reliable. My garage door could break. It's not showing any signs of breaking, but it for sure could, right? And we drive down a road and we just trust. We put faith in the person that's coming the opposite direction, that they know the road laws and they're going to stay on their side of the road. But maybe not. We have to put our faith in things every day. But then life hits sometimes. And just like a garage door that only gets halfway up before you make impact, life has a way of surprising you when you least expect it. And so we're talking about trust in those scenarios. When you're like, I didn't see, I didn't see that coming. Because it's in those scenarios that you really start to ask legitimate questions about who God is and whether he's good or not. Can I trust him to get me through even this? Because he's got me through a lot of things in life, but this is bigger than a lot of the things that I've faced in my life. Is he really care about me anyway? Because I got into this situation, and now is he going to see me through this situation? And those are legitimate, real questions. So we want to look at this story from Joshua. Joshua chapter 5 and 6. The story of Jericho and the Israelites trying to take, take what was promised to them in the promised land. So before we start, will you pray with me? God, we are thankful that we can trust you. And we pray today that as we look at your word, that we will be able to trust you even more. 
that we'd be able to hold on to. Not just who you say you are, but who you say we are and what you promise us. God, help us to have this perspective even when life doesn't go as planned. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Just for a little context to catch you up, um, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. In a lot of ways, he's like the second Moses, but it's a little bit like, hey, Moses, anything you can do, I can do better. I can be more obedient. Up to this point, he's really doing a great job of helping the nation of Israel follow in obedience um, God and what he said. And they just came through the Jordan River, which God again divided, and they walked through in dry land, and they got to go through. And then in the beginning of chapter 5, Joshua asks the men the grown-up men, to take a step of obedience and trust. He asked them to be circumcised, which we won't dwell on that part, but he asked them to be circumcised, and then they spend the next couple days healing for obvious reasons. And so here they are walking and trusting and obeying, even when the ask from God isn't exactly the most comfortable ask, we'll say. And they set up camp, and they start to heal, and then we pick up in the story in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. But the first thing that we want to pull out of this story is that we're supposed to be on God's side. We are supposed to be on God's side, and it's really tempting for us to fall into a trap of misunderstanding with this, especially when we say things like, God is for us, not against us. But that means that God... That the misunderstanding is that that means that God will join us in our agenda or that the promise is made that he'll join us with our knowledge and then he'll just sprinkle in and we just can follow him a little bit more later. But the reality is that when we follow behind God, he has our back. He's there for us and he's for us. He's for us becoming who he made us to be and who he made us to be as people that live and breathe and have purpose in his kingdom. And so we see this played out really clearly in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And it says this. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. With a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Which was just Joshua being a good leader. He had to clarify, hey, are you about to come after us or are we going to fight right now? And it's, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the answer is surprising because he says, neither, he replied. I've now come as a commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground and worshiped, and they asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place that you're standing is holy ground. And so Joshua did just that. You kind of wish that the response had been a little bit different, right? If you're Joshua, you've got to kind of wish that the response had been a little bit different. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? I'm for you guys. Let's do this. We're about to go fight the Canaanites. It's going to be unbelievable. What were you thinking about, Jericho? Those walls are pretty steep, huh? I mean, we had some ideas up in heaven, but what are you thinking? Like, you're pretty smart. You've done some good stuff so far. But he doesn't say that. He says, look, let me clarify something to you, young man. I'm not on your side. I'm a commander of the Lord's army, and you're either going to 
bow in reverence and follow and surrender to me and follow what I'm about to tell you or we're going to have problems. And Joshua being obedient and faithful and recognizing this same, you know, the God coming and, and talking to him removes his sandals and then he gets the instructions. We can't be tempted to believe that we aren't supposed to just follow in God's footsteps. He wants us to be on his side because he knows better than us what will fulfill us and what will give us purpose and what will move us forward and how we'll become who we were supposed to become. We're supposed to be on God's side. And then we get ready to hear the instructions. But before we turn the page, you have to just recognize and put ourselves in the scenario that we're talking about here. The whole fighting men have been asked to be circumcised. And they're healing. And we know that willpower, we know from research that willpower is like a muscle. And if you exert too much of your willpower, then it gets fatigued and you get impatient. And so obedience is a little bit like a muscle. And if it gets fatigued, it gets harder and harder to listen and follow instructions. And I don't know about you, but I could imagine that the obedience threshold for the men of Israel is a little fatigued at the moment as they're healing up. But then there's these instructions that follow. It says this, and what, they, what we have to understand before we go into chapter 6 is that God's way works. Even when our obedience threshold is lowered, even when we're tired, even when we don't want to follow exactly what God said to do, God's way still works. And so these are the instructions that are given to the people of Israel. Starting in verse 1. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one was leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there's a prolonged blast of the horn and when you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. Jericho is kind of an interesting structure Many historians believe that it was built up on a hill, sort of. And it was this nine acres stretch of land that they had to circle. But the the wall was built in a tiered structure. First of all, they sort of believe that there was a retaining wall that held up a hill. And then there was a, a wall on top of that. And then a little bit more up the hill was another wall. And so from the ground, it gave this appearance that the walls were, that the wall was much taller than it actually was because you couldn't see the stretch of ground. All you could see was this enormous structure that was before you. And the estimate is that people, that it would have appeared about 10 stories tall. I don't know if you've ever walked around a 10-story building, but I bet one of your thoughts wasn't, you could easily climb this. I bet no problem. I got, I got that. And so it's this, it's this imposing structure, coupled with the fact that the Canaanites were ready for siege. 
This city was built to be fortified, and they had brought in their crops and their supplies, and they were ready for a year-long siege. They could stay in the city without going hungry, without running out of supplies for up to a year. And so this was an unbelievable and impressive city that was heavily fortified. Now, I don't know what you'd be thinking when you hear these instructions, but I know for sure what I would be thinking because I know me. I would be thinking when Joshua gave those instructions, I'm sorry, what? Joshua's losing his mind. He wants us to just walk around the city. We're fighting men. We have been obedient up to this point. Let us do what we are supposed to do. You want us to walk around the city? That's not going to work. I guarantee that without the benefit of hindsight, I would have been like, Joshua's dumb. That's not going to do it. That wall is going to stay, and we're going to be standing and walking around like big dummies, making a bunch of noise, and then it's going to still be in there like eating their food because they got plenty of it. But they trusted. And so for six days, they walked around the city. That's a long walk with that many people. They walked around one time, and then they went back to their camp. And on the second day, they did the same thing. And on the second day, they did the, or on the third day, they did the same thing. There's no indication that the walls were starting to crack or crumble or give any indication that this fortified city was about to fall. But they just trusted and they walked. And then Joshua 6, 15 through 16 says this. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day that they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then he continues to give some more siege instructions. But then in Joshua 6.20, it says this, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when a men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. The belief was that the walls just fell down and made a ramp for the, the, the army to just run up into the city. The same structure that made it so imposing became the entry ramp for the army of Israel to go up into the city and take care of what they needed to do. This unbelievable act of these walls, these walls that were insurmountable just laying down because God said they would. And I used to think because I like to do like a one, two, three logic structure that it was the sound of the men shouting that caused like the right pitch or frequency and you can like, you can knock stuff down with the right frequency, right? I know that sort of from science, it seems right. That these men shouted so loud that the walls shook and then they fell down. It has nothing to do with the sound or frequency or whatever of the men shouting. It wasn't the shouting of the men in the nation of Israel that made the walls fall. It was God doing what he said he would do. The thing of this story is that God did what he said he would do as the, as the people walked in obedience. Those walls just crumbled down. It wasn't that they were really great shouters and their really great shouting made the walls fall. It was the fact that God said, I've given you this city. Look in verse 2, before any of the walking started, before any of the trumpet playing started, before any of the shouting. It says, look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers to you. 
He already said he would. You see the number seven in scripture a lot. And seven to us in a Western culture is very much like seven. I had to really think about that, so you're welcome that it happened to be seven. Seven, that's what we think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In a Hebrew culture, they would have heard that a lot differently. The seven days of creation. It, it was a word picture that meant completely. And so when they're hearing these instructions, they heard, take God's presence around the city. Do it completely. And then when you've circled the city for seven straight days, when you've circled the city completely, do it completely again. So completely, completely wrap your problem with the presence of God and then trust that he is going to be faithful to do what he said he would do. When a problem comes up in your life, completely wrap it in what God has said. Completely wrap it in his presence, in his promise. And then it's just going to fall down. When we're faced with an impossible challenge, remember what God has already promised. They still had to shout. They had to shout when the walls were still standing. I put myself in that story again, and I think, like, would I have given a mighty shout, or would I have given a skeptical shout? I know he says this is going to work, and we've done the whole seven and seven and seven and seven thing, like, whatever, but woo Kind of wager my bets a little bit. But they praised, they shouted before the walls fell. Are we willing to trust before our problems are cleared up that God's going to do what he said he was going to do, that he's going to knock down the walls that are in front of us, that he's going to help see us through, that he's going to help us become who he's made us to be, that he's going to give us purpose, that he's going to give us new life, and then we get to walk with him. Last week, Mike talked about one of the core promises of the New Testament from Matthew 28. Verse 19 and 20 says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them in the name of the Father <clears throat> and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And the last part is key. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we end up with the same question that we started out with. Is God really going to see me through? Is he really good? Does he really care? Because we're here today. And there are many walls and many obstacles that come up in our lives. Maybe it's a new job or wanting to leave an old one. Or needing new friends or freedom from debt or a stronger self-image or a broken addiction or a restored confidence in who God made you to be. The question before us today and every day is, are we going to trust what God has promised us? Because I could tell you from my experience, you can trust God. He is faithful. He's shown up time and time again. When I thought I was at the end of my rope, God said, hold on. Don't end the story there because there's more for you and I have more for you. So keep pressing on. I could tell you from my experience, despite our problems, despite our brokenness, despite the walls of shame or regret, we're invited to participate in what God, our Father, is doing in his advancing kingdom in the world. We get to be sons and daughters of the king of the universe and play a significant role in the change that he's making in the world.
Jesus died and conquered death so that we could be called sons and daughters of him. So that we could have full access of, to his promises when we are in Christ. And so it's not just that he's faithful, but we need to look at some of the promises. And so here's just a snippet, just a small snapshot of some of the promises from just the New Testament. He promises to give us wisdom if we ask for it in James 1.5. He promises to provide a way out of temptation in 1 Corinthians 10.13. He promises that our salvation is secure in John 10.28 and 29. He promises to never leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 13.5. He promises to finish the good work that he's begun in us in Philippians 1.6. He promises to come back in Luke 12.40. He promises that if you keep walking and keep becoming who he wants you to be, he is faithful to deliver on those promises. Emery is getting ready to be 13 months in a couple weeks. And so she's starting at that age where she's moving a lot. She crawls really, really fast. And she really wants to walk, but she stands up and tries to walk and just falls. Um, But she moves. She can really, really move. And her favorite new trick is to go to the stairs and go up and down the stairs. And that's great because I want her to be able to do the stairs, but not yet by herself. And so there are times when I don't want her going on the stairs, but she's like, I'm going to do the stair exercise right now. And her favorite trick is to go up to the second step and then put her face between the stair rails and just go, you better come get me. Yeah, I didn't mean to make it echo. You, like, she just looks at me like, we're going to do this right now. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, because I'm not going to let you do it by yourself. But she has unbelievable, unwavering confidence that as she is on the stairs and as she's practicing walking up and down those stairs and becoming who she's supposed to be, that her father is going to be there if she slips, if she starts to tumble. She doesn't have to worry about falling all the way down because her dad's going to be there to catch her. And we practice up and down, and she gets to go. And if she starts to tumble, guess what happened? Every time that she starts to fall, I catch her. And we face these problems as we're becoming who God wants us to be. And we wonder, are you really going to catch me this time, God? Are you really going to be there? I know you have been every other time, but this time feels different. Can we just trust that God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he will be? He will never leave or forsake us. His love will never fail us if we are in Christ and we can become who we're supposed to be in his kingdom and we can walk with confidence because those Jericho walls laid right down. And we are his. And so he wants what's best for us. And so we're going to sing to conclude today. And we're going to sing of a promise that his love never, ever fails. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. And we pray that as challenges come our way, as obstacles come our way, that we would just remember that you'll do again what you've done for us every time when we've fallen short. There will be grace for us and love for us and care for us. Help us to hold on to your promises when life seems most uncertain. You are faithful. Help us to have more trust in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.